um, I have something I want to share. <laughs> uh, can you strap on real quick and we can, do, we can do some stuff together here real quick. How many know uh, that, that for somebody to have an influence in your life, um, you have to be able to trust what they say, yeah. right? Um, and so, I mean, <laughs> uh, our world has been inundated with challenges uh, of false information, um, and you can take you can take you could take the most uh, upright, pure person, and just start bringing up questions about them. Just say something; it doesn't even have to be the truth. And what you've done is you've undermined somebody's ability to to follow them, to trust them. Right? This is what they do in in a court of law all the time, don't they? They they take uh, they'll take a witness and and and. The, the fancy lawyer will get up there, you know, and say, well, what about this? You know, and, and starts to bring up a question to the character, to the, to the uh, veracity of somebody's word and their ability to, to do what they're going to say. And um, I believe this is one of the biggest challenges that we have. Even though we, 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 we can even say that we know God, uh, when it comes to certain things that he said, depending on what's going on in our life, we can, we can try to modify that to some degree. Say, well, I think this about that. And uh, so I've just called this, did he really say that? Did he really say? And uh, so I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go back to Genesis. And this is where, this is where it all started, was, was in Genesis with the, with the first two humans, right? Um, what did the enemy come to do? He, he came to challenge God's word. God has declared some amazing things. And what the enemy wants to do is say, did he really say that? Or did you just understand it wrong? Did you just not? Because how do you feel about it? Does, isn't it important how you feel about it? And this is, that's the problem with our world right now. Too many people are having their own feelings about what the truth is, right? And so, bear with me. This, this is actually challenging, but I think it's liberating at the same time. What, what happens when you find out the truth? The truth sets you free, doesn't it? Uh, but but you, you, have to, you have to be willing to let the truth be the truth and everything else a lie. It, it, it's it's not circumstantial or or what is what do they call that you know or, um, situational. It's it's not situational. Things don't change when it comes to the truth. They're, 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 they they never change, and so uh, it's important to see. Um, I'm just going to go back uh, to Genesis and did God really say this? And I and I want, I'm just going to break this up a little bit, draw some things out. What is the process that takes place when when <laughs> There's, there's nobody that's, that's more uh, reputable than God. I mean, he, he's never told a lie. He's never failed in something. So to question what God says, that takes a lot of guts. <laughs> it takes a lot of, you know, you, you really got to be a, a, a shyster to do that, right? So anyway, this is what happened in the garden. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, 
did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And uh, he, always, he always opens up a broader subject, any of the trees. So that already you're starting to wonder, any of the trees? Well, let's, what, what was it exactly? Start breaking it down. And so uh, it begins with consideration of what is allowed. Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. Almost a little defensive, right? It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, what did God say? She even knows what God said. She knows exactly what God said. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. But she's almost saying it in defense. She's almost kind of defensive about it. It's like, he said we could eat everything else, but he said this is just about this one. And what was the immediate reply from, from the serpent, from Satan? He said, you, you won't die. That's, that's not really what he was saying, that, that you would die. And why was she susceptible to this? Because what she wanted to do, and it's a human nature thing, we want to come up with our own opinion of what's right and what's wrong. Right? So what Satan does is he comes in and he says, you know that thing that you really want, that fruit that you really want? He starts working on another passion that we have, and he, starts, he says, you know, I think we can work on a loophole for you. We can make this happen somehow. And I'm telling you what, as wonderful as the word of God is, if you're looking for a loophole, you can manufacture one from the word of God. What happened, what happened in the wilderness with Jesus? Oh, he was quoting the word, wasn't he? Right? But what was he trying to do? He's trying to divert Jesus from the truth. And what the enemy does, he'll come and he'll, he'll say, ah, I think you're just not seeing because you can really, you can really have what you want. You're just going to have to understand what God really meant because he didn't really say that. You won't die. God knows that, that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Do you know the... The, the, main, the main battle in our world, in our nation today, is who gets to say what is good and evil. And here's the, the interesting thing about it is, when Satan comes along, he can, he can put the label of good on something that has never been good up to this point, and all of a sudden, it has to be good because he said it, and he puts a lot of pressure on you to receive that. Okay, I'm not going to get into the weeds too far, but we can kind of fill in the weeds, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Because this is what the enemy does. When he comes, he, he's going to say, God, God didn't really say that. But it's interesting what God, what God prohibited them from partaking of. Which tree was it? It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me keep going here. Taking ownership of what is good and evil is awakening to a life apart from God's truth. Can I say that again? This is, 
So what are we living in, in this society that we're living in today that's putting pressure on everybody, that's canceling people left and right? It's the woke. Right? You ain't woke unless you've... Unless you've uh, uh, you, you must be sleeping. What's wrong with you? Oh, I must be sleeping, I guess, because I'm just not woke to that. Right? So I, I like what happens in, in, in these passages right here because I think, it's, I think it's critical if anytime you step out and start thinking that you can define what is good and what is evil, you're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you're separating yourself from even being able to see what is, is good and evil because good and evil only comes from God. This, this might not be your favorite sermon, but I think it's one of the most critical right now. I really felt like this week God spoke this to my heart and said, you know what, we got to talk about some of this stuff. Amen? And, and, and not just point our fingers at the world either. It's like, man, God, if you've said something, I can't, just, I can't work around this and make it work for me just because it, I, I've experienced something that might say something else. Amen? If God said something... It's, it's, uh, I, we, we sang about it, didn't we? You said it. I believe it. Right? And you're supposed to put the it in there too. I, I never get that it in the right place, but I'm uh, still working on it. God's working in me to, to, to complete this work that he's begun. So he's good at what he does. All right. The woman was convinced. She listened. Didn't take her long, right? She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. Here's the thing. God has made us with, with passions and desires already in our life. We're motivated sexually. We're motivated uh, with appetites. We're motivated uh, to produce things in our life. He's already designed us with those things. But he's saying, don't decide what's right for those things. Because if you decide, decide what's right for those things, you're partaking of what is only mine. I prohibit you from doing that. It's interesting that this is the only tree that he says, just don't go, just don't try to decide what's good and evil yourself. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Here's where I think we've got off in our nation and we have to be careful even in ourselves. As soon as we take something that God has already declared and we start to, to, uh, we start to make it say that it's not true, not even consider what God has said about it and just start to define it as something apart from God. Even our judicial system was based upon what God has said. We'll, we'll see this. It's based upon a law that God put in place. Things were just anarchy before this. And our, our system of, of justice is based upon what God has said. And as soon as you start defining something else as good, based upon how you feel or what somebody else has gone through or, or how something, you know, somebody had a dream about this. Or, no, that, what kind of stability is that? Okay, And what you're doing is you're ingesting, you're actually eating the knowledge of good and evil, the thing that was prohibited from them, and you're separating yourself from the ability of God to impart truth to you. <laughs> so the further we get in our nation from things that God has defined, without any consideration of him, the further we're getting from an ability to see anything that's true. I don't know, that's what I'm experiencing. It's like, wow, how could this be? It's because any time you start to separate yourself from what God has said about something and assume that you know better, I mean, it's, it's, 
Insanity is what it is. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, which he knew better. He shouldn't even, he should have killed that snake when he first saw it in the, in the garden, right? Who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open. They woke. They became the first wokes. <laughs> and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. You know what? There, there's things in us that do not need to be seen. That when we're right with God, they won't even be effective in our life. They won't even be considered. <laughs> Let's cover up. But, but you know what I mean. Uh, that, that there's things that, that our minds won't even need to go to if we're not trying to hold on to what is good and evil. Deciding these things ourselves. Amen? All right. So, let's press on. So the road of seams. Go with me on this. This is kind of fun. The road of seams has a destination of death. There, there's a, this is one of the greatest dangers, and I believe that we have to fight, fight against this ourselves. What has God said? And forget about what seems right to me. As soon as you begin to entertain what seems right, oh, it's just common sense. Oh, it's just this. Just forget about what seems right to you because it is nothing. In fact, it's death. <laughs> Proverbs 16, 25, it wasn't just a, a, a nice thing that we could kind of talk about or think about. It says, before every man there, there lies a wide and pleasant road he thinks is right, but it ends in death. Now, this, this, goes, this is life and death, and, and we'll see some other things about it because God has a lot of things that he's spoken. There are things that have to do with what we, we should do, and, and, and it's not, they weren't done away with Christ, and we'll see this. Godliness was not removed when Christ came along. It was enabled. It was made possible. Amen? It, it's not like grace made it so that you don't have to do anything godly anymore. No, it's so that you can, right? So, all right, you still with me? All right. So Noah found grace. I, I, I'm going to just kind of weave Noah in here just a little bit because here's the thing that, that, that is obvious. Before Noah, before Moses, there wasn't any really reference of, of, of what godliness should even look like, was there? And so before Noah, you get a real picture of what wokeness on steroids takes you to. Because it's just whatever you awaken to, this is where you're going to go to. And it's just whatever you feel. You know, all this stuff that we've got going on in the world today, they, they, they act like they're coming up with something. There's nothing new. People want to identify with this and want to identify with that, identify with that. Until you're identified with Christ, you're messed up. And before Noah, in the time of Noah, there was just, it was just however you feel about anything, wasn't it? And you know, my heart kind of goes out to them. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the Word. They didn't have Jesus. You know? 
And that's what's so, so devastating about where we are today is we do. And that's what's amazing. We'll, we'll see what Jesus has to say about this. But then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And God is not, as much as he loves mankind, he, he hates sin. Because what does sin do? The wages of sin is death. And it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you've, if you've said, Jesus, be my Lord. If you continue to sin, there's a, there's a consequence of death. Just naturally. This is the thing. All the things that God puts in place to say, don't do this, don't do that. Every single one of them, if you, just do, if you do one of them and never make Jesus your Lord, your life's going to be better. Because they provide for the way life should be. <laughs> All right. You might have to forgive me and, and love me and stuff, but, but this is the truth, right? Can you handle the truth this morning? <laughs> so the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah... And this is really interesting, especially in this age of grace. What did Noah find before the age of grace? He found grace, didn't he? What is grace? It's the favor of the Lord that is only activated when you respond to his word in obedience. It's not just grace that just is unaffected by, by your choices altogether or what you choose to do. What did, what did Noah, he found grace. Isn't that amazing? In this world of wokeness back then, he found grace. And, and, and implied with finding grace is finding grace to be much higher than anything that the world around him could offer him. Because he was willing to obey what God said. The grace, what is the grace? It's favor, it's acceptance, it's blessing. You know, this song, it's all about grace. It's, it's God's best intent for us. And what Noah found is that that was more important to him than what anybody in the world around him thought. In fact, did you know that his great-grandfather was Enoch? His great-grandfather was Enoch. And so he had this, this thing built into it. What was it. What, what was really cool about Enoch? Everybody know what was cool about Enoch? As he went for a walk with God and he pulled a Frodo, right? He just, he wasn't there anymore. You know, it's like, where did, where did Enoch go? I don't know. He must be with God, um, right? <laughs> this guy knew God and he passed it along to Enoch to where, and it actually, it actually says that during this period, it was like 120 years he's building the ark. You know, I, I looked at some commentaries and said, well, he should have got it done in five years, you know, and it's like, Man, he didn't have the tools we have. You know, he, he doesn't know what an ark is. You know, he's, he might have had to try a thing or two and, you know, <laughs> he might have had a learning curve on his hands. I don't know. But, um, but what, what he did during that period, he was not silent. There was a world around him that says, what are you doing, Noah? And he's declaring what God said, that the world is going to be destroyed. God said that, didn't he? And he became a, a preacher of that to the point where people actually were judged for not accepting what God said through him, right? 
But what happened and what, what set Noah apart um, was that he found grace. He found what he, what he received from God to be greater than any of the seams of the world around him. And this is, this is where I think we, we need to become tenacious with righteousness and tenacious with what God says about stuff because as soon, all it takes in a court of law, all it takes is one question about somebody. If you can prove them to be wrong in one area, I mean, I, if we can just get this part, this is really good. If you can just prove God to be unfaithful in one area, you know what's happened? You've just lost faith in God altogether. That happens in court, doesn't it? If you can, you can have somebody, and all you have to do is bring it into question. And now the, now, you know, the jury's going to say, well, that, that, that person's word is not good because they failed in one area. This is why we have to say, okay, what, what does God say about, what am I supposed to do? Am I going to find grace? Or, am I, or, or is my flesh going to be gratified in something that I want to do? And, and my little seems like it's okay based upon my perception of something. All right. I kind of sound like a preacher this morning, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> the deception of man does not negate the truth of God's word. So in 2 Peter, he, start, he talks about this. And he talks about people in the last days. And I think we have to be careful that we're not among these. Because I, you know, I think he's talking about people that are actually preaching and actually presenting a, a, a perspective on God's word. But th there's a part, man, th read this whole chapter. I, I was going to and I thought, oh man, they'll, they'll really get mad at me if I do that. But um, just this part of it, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, he's talking to us. You know, we want to act like we just have a, we're, we're, we're and I'm, I'm thankful that we are sealed. That's the power of grace. In God, we are sealed. But it matters whether we believe what God said. Because when you believe God, what God said, you're going to do what he says to do. You can, you can a, a real quick indicator if, if you believe God is if you do. But Jesus said, if you believe me, you're going to do what I say, right? You'll do my commandments, right? For God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. So he's going back and he's, and he's, re, he's relating this. He's talking about today and he's, he's relating it to the time of Noah. One of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood and the world of the, uh, the, world of the ungodly. So there's this, this word of God that's a blessing. We sang about it. Just had a wonderful song about blessing. But God is, he's also a consuming fire. And there's a necessity for the fear of God to not just be a Papa Daddy fear that has no concern about whether or not you violate anything he does. There should be some concern. Second Peter, I mean, again, read the rest of it because it says, man, if, if God didn't spare the angels, godliness to God is a requirement for validity of transformation in a new creation. We have to be changed, don't we? Amen? 
All right, let me keep going. So Jesus referred to Noah also, and he said, and as it was in the days of Noah, it shall also be in the days of the Son of Man. He's talking about us. Or people are on the road of seams. It's a wide road. It leads to destruction, right? They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroying them all. There is an end to this coming soon. Now my wife and I have been talking, man, there's some prophetic things going on right now. We should not be discouraged, we should not be fearful, we should not be downtrodden, we should look up for our redemption draws nigh. Amen? But if you're looking down around at the world, it's going to be really hard to get much joy in an upward look. If you're obedient to what the world is telling you to do from somebody's seam, it's going to be really hard to have much comfort in what God has declared. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So there's another sign. Um, let, me, let me just see something here real quick. So Jesus, actually, if you keep, if you keep reading the rest of this, too, I was going to read that to you too. So this really, you have a lot to rejoice about here. This morning, and I'm not reading all these passages. But... Um, uh, he continues to describe what's going to happen. He said that it's, it's indicative of, of, of these times right now. Part of what he says is two men will be in bed together. And it, just like when the flood came, all these things, two people will be working together. But I thought that was interesting. You know, it's kind of indicative of what seems to be okay now. You know, even, even some denominations allowing this kind of activity, you know? What did God say? Does it matter what God said? <laughs> I, th- I think it does. I think it matters what God said. All right? So I just want to look at some of the things that God said. All right? He has directives and he has promises. He cares about both of them. He's very, it's very personal to him. God's directives and his promises. Now, I'm, I'm, these are, you know, we can start to look at some other things too that maybe God says, but I just want to look at these two areas because they touch our lives. We have to do something. We, every time we receive a directive from God, it, our relationship with God is determined by what we do with that. Okay? God really said these things. Simple outline of godliness. So this, this was before this was the beginning of the law, but it was really just a description. You know, I said before that, that the people in Jonah's time, or in, in, uh, <laughs> in Noah's time, did not have any uh, representation of what godliness should look like. God comes along with Moses and gives them 10 little points. Let's just go through them real quick. How many know all of them? It'll be interesting just to go through these real quick. Can we do this? And God spoke these words. God spoke these words. <laughs> Saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. This is not a small thing. We as Christians 
are surrounded with a lot of gods. And the only way of really knowing whether they've become a god for us is for God to reveal that to us. Okay, I'm not going to stay too long on that, but let me keep going. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Wow. This is serious, isn't it? God takes it. It's, it's not like just, it's not like, you know, just Barney Five. Oh, Barney Five, he took some things kind of personal too, I guess. It's like if you jaywalk, you know, it's like you're going into the, you know, <laughs> you're going to jail if you jaywalk, yeah. Uh, but, but God actually, He's very serious about these things because he cares about us. It's out of love. Remember what, remember what it says? It says, uh, the, the child that is unloved does get no, doesn't get any discipline. Why? Just let him play in the freeway. Just let, <laughs> let him play out there with snakes. You know, uh, you know it, why? Because you don't really love him. But when you love them, you care about everything that they do because you know when they're taking a step that's going to hurt them. You hate that. That's why God hates sin. He doesn't hate sinners. He hates what, what sin does to sinners. Right? Okay. Pastor, keep going on this stuff. It's so good. But showing mercy to thousands. Don't you like that? Okay, well, let's just go back, back just a little bit. Okay, so that was pretty devastating, wasn't it? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Aha, uh-huh. but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Oh, but he'll forgive me. Oh, but I can just say whatever I want to say. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The name of the Lord is a very powerful weapon. To be wielded in vain is almost to show disdain and dishonor directly to the one who made us. Remember the Sabbath day to keep this holy. Now look how long he goes on on this. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Okay, I know this is the, this is the, the, the law, but some part of this should be reflected in godliness itself, right? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor, okay. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You say, but you don't know my mother and my father. Well, well, there's a promise with that, isn't there? You shall not murder anybody from conception. You shall not commit adultery. Now, I, I won't go into the detail why that's validated from the word, but it is. The moment, even before we're born. God already sees us as something not to be murdered. 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. What's adultery? That's having sexual relations with somebody that you're not married to, right? You shall not steal. You shall not bear, there's a lot of different ways we could steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's, nor his grill, nor his Jeep, nor his, right. <laughs> right. God's definition of life that represents him wasn't done away with Christ. It was only enabled. I know I've already said this, but this is what Jesus says, isn't it? Matthew 5, 20 says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And he went into detail in other parts uh, about this. He's, and, and the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they were the ones that were keeping the laws as, as good as you could back then, right? But remember what Jesus said, man, if you even think about some of this stuff, why? Because it's in your heart. And what you're doing in your heart, anytime you're, you, you violate something that God is, he, he said this stuff, and, and it's like, Jesus didn't come to do away with this. He came to make it so that we can actually live this way. God likes godliness, right? That's why his name is right there in the middle of it, right? Um, So unless what we have is even better than the Ten Commandments, we're sinking, right? You won't even get into the kingdom of heaven. You know, this doesn't mean anything to the person that isn't on the, on, on the precipice. It's like, uh, it's like Pastor Kim and I have been talking. You know, we just... We just uh, had somebody pass away recently that's a very dear part of our heart, you know. And, and, and what it's done for me is, is just kind of make life, you know, look like what it should look like, I think. It's, it's all really short. None of us have a promise beyond this next breath that we have, really. And how are we living it, right? So what we're doing right now is either establishing our position in the kingdom of God. And I know this is, man, where you could say, well, what about the love and the mercy? That's what the love and the mercy of God is. Jesus came to redeem us from the power of the seams. To establish us upon a rock of righteousness where we don't have to fear for anything. Amen? All right. Man, you're still with me. I can tell. I'm so excited about this. This is fun together. All right. Romans 3.31. We do then make void the law through faith. So Paul's talking. This is the guy that came up with the great grace stuff, right? That we're saved by grace through faith. But it needs to be a finding of grace like Noah's finding of grace. That we're willing to let go of every other seam. Amen. Otherwise, that amazing grace is inactive for us. It's playing hide and seek from us, and we haven't found it yet. <laughs> All right, that was funny to me. All right. <laughs> Certainly not. On the contrary, what do we do? We establish what is God's likeness. That's what the purpose of the law was. Amen? To make it possible for us to actually represent him. Right? So what is the purpose of Christ in faith? 
is to establish God's ways in us. Amen? So, there is the directives. And I mean, you can, you can keep going with this. That there, and, and it's not just Old Testament. You get into the New Testament, there's an endless amount of things that you should be doing. Right? And it's not just works. It's relationship. It's, it's kind of like Noah. Why, why was he able to do that? Because he found grace and, and, and grace is directly related. I like, and we just preached about this last Wednesday, but Titus, it says, uh, for the grace of God has appeared to all men. It, 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 it gives the name of grace to Jesus. So that, that, that when you're talking about grace, you're talking about Jesus himself. Amen. So that if we're saved by grace, we're saved by Jesus. It's relationship. It's not just something that we have nothing to do with. Okay, so Exodus 23. This is the promise. And God really gets deep into, he, he's, he's serious about promises. He likes promises. He's kind of like, um, like my wife at Christmas time. She loves to give things. God loves to give promises. He likes to provide. He likes to do good things. For my angel will go before you, and you know, you get into this. This some people feel like it's actually Jesus being prophesied here. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Am, into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites. Man, they got stuck on ites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. What's he doing? He's talking to them in the wildernesses, and he's he's making this promise that they're going to go into the promised land. He's making this declaration. I will take you in there. This is like Tom Brady getting up in front of the football team and saying, well, actually, yeah, Tom Brady. Yeah, because he, didn't he go to the Bucks? Yeah. You know, he got up in front of the, he said, I'm going to take you to the Super Bowl. You were going to win the Super Bowl. And you say, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. No, no, you're not. This is God standing up in front of the, he brought them out of Egypt already with all these amazing things, right? You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall, utter, uh, you shall utterly overthrow them. You won't bow down to them. You'll overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. This is God promising. Now, this is just a small part of it. I just want to get this part, okay? So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless, listen to this, he will bless your bread and your water. This is God talking. Sam, I'm going to bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Did God say this? No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come. And will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. This is a promise that God made. Now, what I wanted to do is include in this that God promises health, provision, security. He's a force that goes before us, and he's promised this to us. Now, anytime what God has said can be challenged, and this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to come in in our daily life, challenge the veracity of God's word in one little thing that we begin to compromise on and say, well, it doesn't really matter. Here's where sin becomes a, a detrimental thing. It's kind of, we just got done with uh, killing kryptonite for the, with the men. 
it, it becomes kryptonite. Sin becomes kryptonite because what we've done, every time we sin, know, knowingly sin against what God has said, what we're just doing is saying that God didn't really say that for me. And so these things also become, they lose their value because everything else he said now becomes invalid. Can you follow me on this? This is important. Okay. So you go down just a little bit into the next uh, book here in Numbers. They, get, they, get, they make a screeching halt at the border of Canaan, right? They, they come up and they say, oh, ho, 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 we better, f-. what do they want? They, they start, God has brought them all this, this way. He's promised them that they're going to do something. And now they, they said, we're not going any further on that road. We're getting on the road of seams. We want to decide what seems right to us. Every time you get up to the promise of God and you get into the realm of seams, you're not going to get to partake of the promise. Man, this is actually really huge if you can, if you can embrace this. All right? After the report of the 10 spies caused them to turn back from the promise, there was a rejection of his word. And it wasn't just rejection of his word. It was rejection of him. This is, this is the very wonderful thing about grace, and this is the very wonderful thing about the provision of God's promise. It's not just a legal thing, it's a personal thing. Amen? Numbers 14, 11, then the, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? What happened? The, uh, the spies came back and they said, we can't do it. Giants, big walls, we can't do it. And God said, I just promised you. What did I say? What they, what they came back and said, God didn't really say that. Let's partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's more important what we come up with that determines what is right and good. And as soon as you do that, you separate yourself from the ability of God to be true in your life. You can't believe him for anything. As soon as you screech halt at the border of Canaan. Of the promise. Amen. How long will they not believe me? Will all the signs which I have. uh, With all the signs. Which I have performed among them. God does amazing things. And we don't even allow it to be validity. Of his word. Okay. (laughs) Partly why I feel like. This needs to be shared. Is I think God wants to do some amazing things. He can't move past our belief in his word, though. And that is practice. That is worked out in our daily lives. Amen? So what did God have to do? His promise didn't go away. Who got to participate in it went away. God's promises are not going to change. Whether we get to participate in them is. Numbers 1430. Except for Caleb, the son of... Uh, so he's saying nobody's going to get to go except for Je- Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun. He didn't have any parents at all. Uh, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. That's about as good as buddy's joke. So just give me a break. Okay. <laughs> but your little ones whom you said would be victims. This is the, this is the irony of this. They're saying that our children are going to be victims of the promise said, so they're the ones that are going to partake of the promise. Isn't that interesting? I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. 
We can actually despise the word of God by not laying hold of its promise and entering in and leaving the place of bondage for the place of promise. All right. In Christ, every promise is guaranteed. So we're talking about the Old Testament. Let's bring it into now. This is for us. Every promise that God has made, it's for us, amen? 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is, this is ours now, amen? So it becomes very critical to find out what God says. But it also becomes very Responsible, responsible, right? We're responsible with everything that we find out that he said. You know, you can't have the lights come on in your rearview mirror and, and you pull over to the side and, and they say, you were going too fast and you said, I just don't know. I didn't see it. Has anybody ever, I've gotten a ticket because I told them I did not see where the, the thing was. I said, well, it was right back there. You should have seen it. Bullock Hollow. Anybody know where Bullock Hollow is over here? Yeah, I was coming about a Bullock Hollow and Man, I was probably going 60 or something. And there was a sign right back there. You just didn't see it. We need to see, don't we? we? We need to be in God's presence. We need to be saying, this is for me. Amen? There is promise. Oh, this is good. The, hang with me just a little bit more. Can we do this? There is promise of rest from the fear and the anxiety of the world's frustrations. Here's the irony of this. Is everything that the world is putting upon us that would seem to be right to them only leads you into a realm of fear anxiety, worry, and constriction where you cannot produce. Everything that the world says, oh, but it seems to be this way, and if you don't believe in what seems right to me, you are going down, right? The irony is, every time you yield to God's law, it takes you to a, the exact opposite place, to a place of rest to a place of freedom. Amen? For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's talking about what we just saw in the Old Testament. That was the rebellion. It was a rebellion from God. Right? It says, today if you hear his voice, how many hear the voice of God? We've been speaking it already this morning somewhat, haven't we? What does it say? It says, don't, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts or you'll be just like those children of Israel not going into the promised land because of what seemed right to them. It doesn't matter how big the mountain, it doesn't matter how big the giants. If God said something, he takes it personal if we go in or we decide to be failures in the wilderness. Why does he hate that so much? Because he knows we're going to die where we're at. And miss out on the promise. Ah. Okay. Ceasing from works. Letting go of any questioning of God's word. So Hebrews keeps going on there. And it says there remains therefore. A rest for the people of God. This is actually freedom. Did you know. It, it becomes life to you. When you can let go. Of having depend, to depend on. What some representative in Congress. Is saying seems right. You can let go of what you feel seems right. 
that always leads to destruction. And you can rest in what God has already said is right. Amen? There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his own decisions of what is right. I like to see that works as that, that thing, right? Because what you decide is right is what you act on. It, it begins to be the pathway of your life. And we saw what Proverbs said about that. It always leads to destruction. As God did from his. Let, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the example of disobedience. It's important what God says. Isn't it? And this is about promises, isn't it? God takes promises serious. He says, if I promise you something, I don't like it if you don't take it. I don't like it if you hold back. Right? I take it personal. All right, Hebrews isn't done yet. For the word of God is living. The word of God is alive. And powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit. And of joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What God said needs to be planted in a heart. In order for that heart how do we believe? We believe from our heart, don't we? And every time we take what God says and we, and we act on it, it establishes validity, its solidity in our heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Okay, I'm accelerating to the end. We're going downhill now, all right? Can we stay together? So this is my favorite passage out of Psalms 27 that I think is, is I just wanted to put it in here because I like it, but I think it, I think it relates to what we're talking about today because it's so, it's so important. This is not a, it's, it, it's so important with, with the message of what God says for us to be drawn in to the wonder of relationship with him and not be repelled by the fear of him. Does that make sense? There's a, there's a need for us uh, to like Noah, to find grace in the middle of a scary time. Psalm 27, 4. Let me read my little statement first. first. Don't you like my little statements? Everybody say, Pastor, I really like your little statements. Okay. A fixation on the beauty and counsel of the Lord is the life of those kept by him. I like that. It's the life of those kept by him. Without question. When... When we can get into the presence of God and we just say, you said, it. we sing the song. That, so let's just sing that song just over and over. When you're, when you're challenged, you know, when, when your flesh is saying, but I really like to partake of that. And, and, and all I have to do is decide that I know better than God. Uh, you say, no, I think I'm going to sing that song I heard this morning. You said it. Hey, I believe it. All right. Yeah. You said <laughs> It is done. It is done. It's not just enough for us to say that God's going to do something. We, he said it. It's done by us. We respond. Amen? One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in his temple. So the last part of this is what I like. There needs to be this, this emotional gratification. In God. That's why worship is so wonderful as a, as a tool for that. But it needs to be a life thing. 
Amen? We're, we're, we're really walking in the Spirit. We're really living. You know, if you walk in the Spirit, you don't fulfill the, the seams of the flesh. What seems right to me. Right? So this, this has to become something that will continue. So my challenge for us is, how does it become something to where the, the trials of life are, are not, we're actually walking in the Spirit. It needs to be just like every time I'm with my wife. It's just so wonderful. It's just so precious. It's like, oh, take me back there. Let, let, me, just, let me just be with you. We don't even have to kiss or anything. I mean, it's just, just wonderful just, just to be together. But, but really, uh, if this is how God wants, not, not that, but this is how God wants to be in our life. I mean, a, a reality. He said, and I'll walk with you. And you'll be my God. And my promises will be fulfilled in your life. This is what God gets excited about. Isn't that amazing? God gets excited about that. And it takes it personal. You know? It really hurts my feelings when I say, oh, babe, just come over here. And she says, oh, get away from me. You stink. Go brush your teeth or something. You know? Oh, man, that crushes me. Because I had such great reward for her. She just. But this is God's heart towards us. He says, I don't, want to, I don't want to just put a bunch of rules on you. I want to care for you. I want us to walk together. I'm a holy God. When you walk with me, you're going to be holy. You can't walk unholy <laughs> and be with me. And I take it personal when you, don't, when you don't even care that I said that. Right? So the last phrase there I think becomes critical. It says, and to inquire in his temple. What am I inquiring for? I care about what he says. I care, I care about his opinion on things. I care about his directives. I care about his promises. When he promise me, promises me something, I'm going to act like it's true. I'm not going to be overcome with, with worry and fretting over something that he's promised me I have victory over. I'm going to act like it's true. Amen? All right. I'm not going that fast yet. All right. I'm just kidding. All right. To arrive at the truth and its intended destination, you must look away from the world and any requirement of its passions. So, on a practical level, this, this becomes rubber meets the road stuff. God will help us see these areas in our life where there's passions. And there's a need for us to look away from them to see God. Otherwise, God's there with everything that he's won, and we're still, we're still encumbered in, in these other passions and dominated by them. We look away from the natural realm, and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us, and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. Man, that's really nice, isn't it? His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing you, that you would be his he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. This is, our, this is what we choose. Every time we choose what God said, we choose what he provided for us in Christ. He's, you know, he said that we're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. A place that he's prepared for us even when we were in sin. The extravagant love of God towards us is something that 
He takes personal. He sent Jesus, paid the price for us so that we could receive it and actually live like it's true and not depend on some house built on sand, on seams. That was really good, wasn't it? A house built on seams. Just what seems to be right. Amen? I'm thankful in this world right now, we don't even have to be moved. We don't have to be moved by these things going on. Amen? We don't have to get caught up with, with anger. We don't have to hate anybody over this or that. Amen? Because we, get, we, we lift our gaze. We look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And what is our faith in? It's in what God has said. Amen? And so we're willing to endure whatever our flesh might be trying to tell us. Saying, go eat of that thing. Just listen to what seems right to you. And we're saying, no, 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 no. I'm looking unto Jesus. Because there's a much better place for me to go in him. There's the directions of God. They're all good. There's the promises. And I'm going to love him in reacting to them as if they're true. Amen.